Well, it's really good to be uh, here again on this third in this series that we're doing of five easy steps to wreck your life. Each week during this series, we're talking about five easy steps to wreck your life in one of these four particular areas that we're talking about during this series. And so we've been doing this for the past couple of weeks, and I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that continues to comment to me and to write me emails and to leave me notes about what a blessing this message series has been to you. Uh, so far to this point, uh, I really am glad that we're able to do this and go through this kind of fun and interesting. Some of you guys have asked me the question, is it hard for you to stand up there and to, uh, to say the opposite of everything that you really mean? And, and yeah, it's really, really hard. I'm standing up here and I'm saying, here's five things you can do to wreck your life. Don't do what you ought to do. Do all the things you shouldn't do. I'm kind of doing a, you know, a little bit of a reverse psychology thing. And yeah, it's been really tough for me. And you've probably noticed I slide into, you know, preacher mode more and more, trying to turn it back around. But I'm, I'm doing my best to just kind of let us look at what scripture says from a little bit of a different angle so that it will cause us to think about it a little bit different. And today we're talking about how to become an addict. This is a kind of a really interesting message today because in talking about becoming an addict, I really believe, and we believe as a church, that Jesus died to set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free, right? He gives us grace and he has planted something inside of each of us that he wants to see bloom and become everything that you can become, right? I mean, he's, he's planted something in us that is unique and special and he gives us everything everything we need to become mature, to become what he wants us to be. And he allows us to be able to use the blessings of this world to become that. And so we have freedom. We have great freedom to be able to, number one, become everything God wants us to become. And number two, uh, to be able to enjoy the things of this world. You know, a lot of churches, they teach you that you must not do this. You must not do that. For a lot of people, Christianity is a list of things they can and cannot do. And the cannots are a lot longer of a list than the cans, right? I mean, for a lot of Christians, what it means to be a follower of Christ is that you can't have a good time. You can't enjoy your friends. You can't have a sip of alcohol. You can't do anything at all ever, period. You just got to sit in your house and pray all the time. You know, and I, and I look in Scripture, and I just cannot bring myself to believe that Jesus would live and die and live again so that my life could be boring, so that my life could be a stick in the mud for everybody else. I can't believe that he would ask me, that he would call me, that he would call you to go and to tell others to make disciples into that, into, into boredom, into sitting around, into becoming nothing. He wants us to live the glorious life. He wants to be free. He wants us to be a light into this dark world, right? And so we've got to be able to live the free life that he calls us to be free in. But the problem is we get caught up in some of that stuff sometimes, don't we? I, mean, I think the reason that there's a particular brand of Christianity that tells us that you can't do everything uh, that you might want to do is because, frankly, they're scared. 
I, I am. I'm a little scared sometimes of some things. There's some things that I just stay away from altogether. There are things in my life where I've drawn the lines. I've said, I'm not going to get anywhere near that particular thing in my life. And so because of a little fear, a little healthy fear of not wanting to get into all the things that are going to wreck your life, they've kind of drawn some really hard, fast lines. And it's become more about the lines than it has been about who you are supposed to be. Paul kind of wrote a little bit about this from time to time as he wrote in his letters to the churches. And Paul the Apostle, he writes about this particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he has this philosophy that is so important to him that he kind of repeats it twice here. And here's what he says. He says, everything is permissible for me. You hear that? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, he repeats himself, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. I like that word, mastered by anything. That word, mastered, it's a Greek word, and uh, it's pronounced like this. See if you can say it with me. Exousiadzo. The Greek word is exousiazo. Say it with me. Exousiazo. Yeah, that's the Greek word here for mastered. And the definition is literally this. Exousiazo means to be controlled by or enslaved. To be brought under the power of something. To be controlled by or to be enslaved. To be under the power of something. I will not be enslaved by anything. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. But I will not be in bondage to anything. And the problem with us as Christians is we tend to enjoy the blessings, we tend to enjoy the freedoms, maybe a little too much. In fact, we get so into those blessings, so into the freedoms that we forget who it is that's given us the blessing, we forget who's given us the freedom, and we get caught up in them, and they end up ensnaring us and trapping us, right? We don't want it to be that way. We don't plan for it to be like that. It just kind of happens to us, right? Nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning one day and says, you know, my life is, is, is going pretty well, and I'm, I'm pretty healthy, and, and I do everything pretty, I exercise all the time, and, and so I, I'm really kind of moving in good patterns here. I think I'm just going to try smoking a cigarette, and maybe that will lead to several cigarettes, and maybe that will lead to a habit of a couple of packs a day, and I can get lung cancer by the time I'm 55 years old and die before I get to see my children grow all the way up and them have grandkids, right? Nobody ever wakes up and says that. But what happens is you, you start to live in that blessing and then you get caught up in that a little too much. Nobody wakes up and says, hey, you know, I, I really don't ever have a, a lot of fun in my life. I really don't ever do a whole lot of things. So I'm just going to start off uh, trying to place a few bets online here and there, maybe playing some online poker or something like that, place a few bets, maybe go out to Vegas one day, maybe uh, start gambling, maybe start playing the slots and all that kind of stuff, uh, do a little blackjack or whatever, and maybe it'll develop into a big habit where I do this all the time. In fact, I start spending all my money, and before I know it, I've spent everything away. I've lost everything I've had. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, and now uh, my life financially is ruined. I've lost my family and everything. Nobody ever wakes up and says those things. You want to just experience the freedom, but we get caught up in it a little too much, don't we? When you're in bondage, the person that's in bondage is the person who is saying in those blessings, in those freedoms, hey, I'm, I'm going a little too far. I shouldn't be doing this. 
I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know this isn't healthy, but they keep doing it anyway, right? I know this check is going to bounce, but I just got to have this thing. I just got to, I got to go ahead and write this check anyway. I know it's going to bounce, but I'm going to do it anyway, You know, the workaholic says, I know I need to get home and spend time with my family. I know my kids need me around. But he just cannot tear himself away from work. Right? The person addicted to pornography is the one who says, what am I doing watching video after video after video? All of a sudden, I look down, I've spent hours here online. What am I doing here? I, I can't believe I'm doing this. I should not be doing this. Yet they click on the next one after that. You hear the story of a friend of mine. He tells me, he says, my wife hates that I dip all the time. I I don't know why. I go behind her back and I just keep dipping. And and she hates it that I do that. It's not a big deal, but it's just something I like to do. But now I just keep doing it more and more and I just can't get past it. I just can't stop. And I got another friend who says, you know, I just started out smoking pot. You know, occasionally with my friends, it was a way to relax, a way to enjoy life a little bit, and then it turned into coke, and, and now it's, it's meth every day just to get through the day. I just don't know how to stop. And here's the thing. I, I, think, I think that addiction for us is the symptom and not the problem. And you, know, you know what I mean? I think addiction is the symptom and not the problem. In fact, there's a beautiful passage that is in Isaiah 44 that a lot of scholars believe is a really clear picture for us about addiction. They believe that it's an Old Testament picture of addiction. And it's talking about a guy who's a woodsman, a, a guy who crafts things out of wood. And he's talk, it's talking about the guy who goes out and he cuts down wood and he makes all kinds of things. And here's what he does in Isaiah 44, 14 and 15. It says, he cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. Some of it he takes and he warms himself. He makes a fire. He kindles a fire and he bakes bread. So he uses the blessing of this world to be able to bring pleasure and food nourishment to himself. But, but, it says, he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and he bows down to it. He prays to it, this idol made of wood. And he says, save me. You are my God. He's talking about somebody who uses wood that he cuts down from the forest for good things. He uses it for good things. There's nothing wrong with the wood, right? There's nothing wrong with using the wood to to warm yourself, to make the bread, right? But at some point, he crosses the line and he sets that thing up in some kind of idol, and he begins to say, you're my God, save me, you can save me, only you can save me, oh, you're my God, and he prays to that stick of wood. He goes on and says, people like that, their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds are closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think, half of this I burned up, I used for fuel. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? So this person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand 
a lie. He's incapable of distinguishing the truth from a lie because he's gone from using the perfectly good and beautiful blessing that God has given and he's made it into an idol that he worships. Yeah. See, here's the problem right here. This is the first blank on your page if you're following along, either on your uh, phone or your tablet or on paper. First blank is this. We seek what only God can provide in something besides him. The problem is when we seek something that only God can provide in something besides him. The problem isn't that we enjoy the blessings of this world. And the problem isn't addiction in and of itself. Addiction is the symptom of the real problem is that we need God. We are wired and designed by God to desperately need him. And the problem is we seek him in other things. We seek him in the drugs. We seek him in the alcohol. We seek him in the spending and the bad habits and the porn and everything. We're looking for God. We're looking for something to fulfill us, to sustain us, to give us meaning and purpose, to make us feel better about who we are. We're looking for that in all the wrong places. So you may be sitting there today and you may be saying, Steve, you don't, you don't know me, dude. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't, you don't deal with the things in my life that I have to deal with. You don't know the pressure I'm under. You don't know the stress I got to deal with. You don't know the job situation I'm in, the family issues that we have. You don't get it. And, and you don't understand. I just go and like to hang out with my friends. I like to vent a little bit every now and then. I mean, can I just go and be happy some here and there? Can I just go and enjoy life a little bit? I just do this to be happy sometimes. It should be fine to be able to do this. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And I would say, absolutely. That's why he's given us these blessings in this world. But the minute they master you, you become addicted and you get dragged away to destruction. Your life, as it describes in Isaiah, becomes one that feeds on ashes. And you start moving towards destruction. You're like, hey, I'd listen, I just want to have a good time. Okay, fine. That's fine. Let's talk about our five easy steps. If you are just intent on moving down the path of worshiping the false idol of the blessings of this world, then let's just talk about the five ways that you can become an addict to those things. First one is this. Going to go right through them real fast. First one is this. Don't admit you have a problem. It's the next blank on your page. Don't admit you have a problem. First thing is don't admit when somebody comes to you and goes, dude, listen, I'm I'm telling you, uh, I'm seeing this pattern in your life. I don't think you ought to be spending your money so much that way. I don't think that you ought to be drinking quite so much. I I think we might need to step in and help you a little bit. Or or maybe, maybe you're sitting there at the computer and you know you've been there for hours and you need to get up and get away from that and repent from that. You know that that thing is there telling you to stop doing that. You just need to go, look, I, I don't really have a problem. I can stop when I want to. You know, no, nobody else has the right to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. I know what's right and what's up and what's down in my life. I got it. So don't admit you have a problem. Don't be like God tells us in Jeremiah 3. He says, only acknowledge your guilt. Admit 
that you rebelled against the Lord your God and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols. He goes on to say in that passage that if you will just admit that you've been wrong, if you'll just repent in turn, come back. I have the blessings for you. I have the life for you. I can make you into everything you want to be. I can do that for you. You don't want that. You just want to be addicted to your idol, so don't do that. Don't. Don't admit that you have a problem. The second thing is this. Gratify your fleshly desires. If you want to become addicted, go ahead and take every opportunity to gratify your fleshly desires. Let me tell you. It's amazing how ubiquitous the internet has become. Right now on my person, I have two uh, two ways I can be accessing the internet. I got my smartphone right here. I got my tablet right here. Both of these you can uh, use to access the internet at any time. It's amazing now how private your pornography addiction can become because you can carry it with you wherever you are and you don't even have to download the stuff and keep it on your hard drive for somebody to discover. You can just click to it and click away from it. There's apps you can get and all that stuff and it's all very ubiquitous. You don't even have to be all into the smartphone and the tablet thing. All you gotta have is a cable subscription, right? All you gotta have is a home computer. I remember when I was younger, pornography was all over the place. But it was a little bit hard to get to. You know, you had to take the step of buying something or having a friend that had access to something. But now it's just everywhere. Right? And so you can take the moment to just gratify your desires. This week at Vacation Bible School, we had a 12-year-old girl addicted to pornography here that we had a chance to minister to. You know, we don't like to admit that that's a reality in our world today, do we? We don't even like to hear stuff. I don't even like to hear stuff like that. It breaks my heart. But yet that's the reality of what's going on all around us. Addiction is pervasive in our culture. And we don't even like to admit it. We just turn a blind eye. So take every opportunity you can to gratify your fleshly desires. Galatians 5 says, So I say live... By the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. All this is really saying is when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll do the things of the Spirit. When you're filled with your flesh, you'll do the things of the flesh. They conflict. So if you want to be addicted, stay away from the things of the Spirit. Don't be all about church. Don't be all about church people. Don't be all about reading your Bible. Don't be all about praying. Don't be all about memorizing the word of God. Holy cow, God forbid us memorize the word of God. Don't be putting that into your heart and mind. Gratify your fleshly desires because those are the things that will help you become the addict that you want to become. Number three, rationalize your behavior. Rationalize your behavior. Jesus tells the story in Luke about uh, this wealthy man that wanted to bless all of his friends. And so he made this huge feast that he prepared for everybody, prepared this giant feast for all of his friends and all of his neighbors to be able to enjoy, right? So he, he works on his feast, he prepares it all, he gets it all ready, and then he sends out invitations to everyone he knows in the community. 
hey, come, I've made you a great meal. Oh, you're going to enjoy it so much. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to eat for days. It's going to be so good. Sends out all the invitations. And in Luke 14, 18 through 20, look what happens. All the people who received the invitations, they all alike began to make excuses. They began to make excuses. I don't have them on the screen for you, but the first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Please excuse me. So they made excuse after excuse, and you know what? All of them missed out on the feast. They took care of the things that they thought were very important. But they missed out on the real feast that the master had for them, right? And you know what the master said. You know what the master said, right? He told his servants, he says, okay, forget them. Forget them. I've invited them. Forget them. Go out and invite anybody you can find. Go out and find the homeless people, the godless people, the worthless people, the people in the streets laying around with nothing. Go invite them because this feast will be consumed by someone. And so... Whatever you do, rationalize your behavior. Hey, I've got to take care of this. I've got to take care of that. I've got to make sure uh, that, uh, you know, I take care of my family. And my family needs me at home some, but they also need me to bring home a paycheck. So I've got to do whatever I can to keep my job. The economy's terrible right now. And if I'm not willing to do the work, they're going to find somebody to do it. So I better work harder to provide for my family. Rationalize that behavior. Hey, you know what? I don't really, I I like coming to church and I like listening to what the preacher says, but I don't want to be involved in a life group. Man, there may be some weirdos in there, or that's another night of the week I don't really have to give, or or I I just don't know that I can invest that kind of time. I don't want to be around other people so much uh, because I'm a little little bit phobic about that. Whatever you got to do, rationalize your behavior and become an addict. Number four, keep your addiction a secret. Keep your addiction a secret. The last thing you need to do is to confide in somebody else who loves you and cares about you and wants to help you about your problem. That's the last thing you need to do because if you want to become an addict, you definitely want to keep it to yourself because it's already got you. It's already pulling you down. And so if you want to truly become an addict, let it pull you all the way to the bottom. Just let it do that. If you tell somebody, they may start praying for you. If you tell somebody, they may start encouraging you. If you tell somebody, they might come up alongside of you and and try to walk with you through the whole thing. And they might help you out of that. But that's not for you. You want to be addicted. You want to keep it to yourself. Proverbs 13, sorry, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So number four is keep your addiction a secret. Number five is this. Depend on your power, not God's. Depend on your power, not God's. Hey, I got this. I don't really need God to be able to handle this. I'm a man. I'm strong. I can handle this by myself. I can work this out on my own. You know, I'm in charge of my own destiny, and I don't need to trust in someone else. I don't need to surrender I need to take charge here. Yeah, rely on your power, not God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, Though we live in the world, listen, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they, the weapons we use, have the power, divine power, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yeah, the enemy wants to plant thoughts in your head that you're okay without God. The enemy wants to plant thoughts in your head that, hey, you can handle it on your own, but you've got to fight a supernatural battle against those thoughts. You can't do it on your own. You've just got to do it supernaturally, unless, of course, you want to become addicted. Then, just depend on your own power. Galatians 5 says this again. We talked about it earlier. It says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Yeah, it's for freedom that he set us free. Why do we accept the gift of God, the gift of life eternal, the gift of life abundant, the gift of freedom to experience him, and then deny the very gift by letting ourselves get into bondage to the things that trap us and addict get us addicted to them. Why do we do that? I, I wanted to understand this whole deal a little bit better because I've never had to deal with the trap of addiction myself. And so I've invited a friend of mine to come today to kind of help and to share his testimony. And his name is Jamie Williams. Jamie's right here and he's going to come up here and, uh, and we're going to talk to you. So everybody, please welcome Jamie Williams. Come on up here, Jamie. I got this microphone for you. Come on right around here. And uh, they're going to bring some chairs. There they are. They're going to bring some chairs out for us. So we can just kind of sit down and relax. Thank you, guys, for bringing the chairs out. Appreciate it. All right. Jamie, thanks for coming today. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, We talked uh, earlier this week at Starbucks. We spent a little time together. And I just really enjoyed getting to talk to him. Uh, Getting to talk with you that day was really just an encouragement and a blessing to me because... I, I haven't had to deal with substance abuse in particular in my life. And I know that that's a big stronghold, I feel like, in our community. There's a lot of that going on here uh, right now and, and maybe even among us some. And uh, a lot of us may not want to admit it or deal with it, but yet there's that tugging, that nagging reality that we are. And so I, uh, I really am glad that you're here today and, and uh, able to to share some of your experience and your wisdom and your insight with us. So, Thanks, Jamie, Dad. tell me, uh, I'm really glad you're here. Thanks. Uh, tell me a little bit about your story of how your whole journey on addiction got started. Well, at, um, at the age of, early age of 12, my parents divorced, and uh, I kind of experienced and, uh, alcohol. And uh, that advanced into other drugs, you know, um, experiencing uh, you know, that marijuana, acid, ecstasy. Uh, at 19 years old, uh, I was introduced to uh, a drug that would uh, change my life forever. And it was uh, introduced uh, through my father. Uh, it was methamphetamines. Uh, he was a manufacturer, a cook. Uh, he was involved with the uh, um, motorcycle club by the outlaws. So uh, it wasn't just a little bit, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, Struggling with that, uh, you know, I, I, I was in, in, in meth for, for quite some time. Uh, I, uh, in 2003, um, kind of felony, my, my, my first felony, 
Uh, it was uh, possession of meth and manufacturing. Twelve days later, I caught myself a second uh, felony charge. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it was tough. It was tough. Mm. Uh, 05, I caught my third. And I was, uh, at that time, I was, uh, found myself uh, really uh, uh, worshiping uh, the so-called uh, piece of wood. Mm. It, was, it was the drug. Mm. So. Um, wow, I mean, it's amazing that you, to me, I, I think one of the most amazing aspects of that is that it was your own father that started you in that whole ordeal. And then to, to be getting back-to-back felony charges and then get that third one later on, um, I mean, your life must have completely started to fall apart. Uh, you, when we talked earlier in the week, you mentioned that addiction was like a wall. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, I like to prefer it as a wall because uh, the first thing that uh, when I, myself, when I was full, blown, addicted to meth, the first thing that I would do when I wake up, when I slept, I would uh, think about getting high. Everything else didn't matter. Uh, there was a wall that uh, the, drug, the drug builds, the alcohol builds, and behind that wall lays all these other problems that uh, needs to be dealt with, hmm. but uh, the meth and the alcohol tends uh, to, uh, or it made me to uh, avoid that. You know, people say, um, how can you choose meth over your family? Well, if it was that easy, there wouldn't be a problem today. And uh, that's the addiction mm. part of it. The addiction part of it, uh, the, the, the so-called wall, is, is, is bigger than me. Mm. It's uh, bigger than anyone in this room. It's, uh, uh, and there's only one way uh, to uh, overcome that wall, and that's through Christ. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I really, I, I really appreciated that when you brought that out earlier this week when we were talking. Um, so what are some of the effects that that wall of addiction had in your life as you experienced it? Well, um, my job, uh, I'd put off problems, uh, you know, that needed to be dealt with. Uh, my marriage, uh, my marriage definitely, uh, you know, I wouldn't provide like I should. Uh, my relationships uh, with my daughters, uh, uh, the, the divorce that I, that I buried and, uh, for so long, you know, that I blame myself for. Mm. And it's um, what I call, uh, you know, a, a ripple effect. You know, uh, I'm, well, I'm recovering at it, but when I was in my addiction, I concentrated on the drug. My codependence, my codependent, uh, my wife, her addiction was trying to fix me. So instead of her dealing with my daughter and dealing with everyday you know, life things that she needed to be dealt with, she would uh, you know, forget that and uh, try, to, try to fix me. Mm. And uh, uh, even with the... Uh, with my ex-wife and my other daughters, you know, I was affecting them, the ripple effect, because at one point or another, they're going to come to a crossroad. 
because they're not being they're not being you know, neglected, not being um, uh, attended to like uh, like they should. Yeah. Due to my addiction. So that wall has blocked you off from everything that was important. That addiction kept you from everything that you needed to be, yes. and it kept you just trapped in that whole pattern of addictive behavior. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Um, so you had that going on, but then uh, as you were progressing in that downward spiral, you had this miracle story that took place. Tell us about that. Well, 2007, December 22nd, uh, I had lost everything. Uh, I, I, I lost my job. I had a, you know, had a, had a good job. Uh, you know, had a, had a, 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 a decent life. I lost it all. Uh, most importantly, I lost my happiness. Uh, I uh, was in the hotel room. I was with uh, some girl that I didn't even hardly know. Uh, I just spent my last. Uh, Hundred and fifty dollars or so, just for, you know, for the week uh, to stay in the hotel. And I was at the bottom uh, of my life. I mean, now it, it didn't matter no more. So while uh, the girl was in the shower, something came over me, and uh, I just started crying just hysterically. And I fell to my knees and crying like a baby, I reached up and I said, okay, God, you know, I've, I've heard, I've heard about this God, uh, with a, with a handful of pills, mind you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said, uh, please forgive me for what I'm about to do. Or if you're really out there, give me my happiness back. Give me my life back. Well, at that time, I heard the shower cut off because she was in the shower. I heard the shower cut off. I yeah. jumped up, dried my eyes, uh, jumped into bed, pretended I was asleep. Being up for days, I shortly passed out. Um, 24 hours later, I was awakened by a loud knock. It was the police. They were there. to. They had a warrant for a Jamie Williams. Uh, being I was on probation, they searched the room. I got my fourth meth charge. Um, the officer came up to me and said, so, Mr. Williams, I have some good news and bad news. The good news is, he says, um, you're not the right Jamie Williams for the warrant, but the bad news is you're going to jail for possession of meth. So in the back of that cop car, I was going on the, on the way to jail. I heard a voice, be still for I am God. Don't complain. I've got this. On the uh, that was on the 23rd of December. On the 26th day of uh, December, uh, they called my name for visitation, and uh, I didn't want to go. You know, I was thinking it was that girl, and I was like, you know, I claimed it. I claimed it. Uh, you didn't get in no trouble. Just leave me alone. Let me deal with this. You know, and the jailer said you may want to go. Well, I went to the visitation. I was sitting there behind the glass, and the door opened up, and then walked my wife. Um, she was there to forgive me. Uh, at that time, I knew that God was working in my life. And to carry on, 
to uh, the actual miracle story was in the courtroom. Being that I had four possession charges, uh, I was facing some jail time, and I knew this. I had signed a plea uh, 10 years through five uh, with rehabilitation in the Department of Corrections. And I, you know, I was okay with that. I signed that. So I went and I had a I had a public defender and I went in front of the judge and uh, this was at 4:45 and I was the last one to be seen and the judge uh, said uh, I don't know why I'm doing this but please counsel will you approach the bench. A few minutes passed. My wife I could hear her in the back of the courtroom crying. Um, my public defender came back and said, Mr. Williams. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what just happened up there, but the judge is changing your sentence. You're hmm. going to promised land for nine months. Hmm. So showing mercy in that courtroom and remembering God saying, I got this. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you were able to, by a miracle of God, avoid the consequences in that particular way. And then move to a place where God now has a kind of a bright new future for you, right? He's yes, kind sir. of set you on a track through this whole deal of a, of a new future. Tell us a little bit about the new future. Well, uh, I've, uh, of course, I've surrounded myself, or, or, you know, I try to surround myself with, uh, with good people, uh, churchly, God-fearing people. Uh, I uh, was recently going to the, the jail ministry. Uh, I attend, uh, st- still attend Promised Land meetings, go up there and minister to those guys. Uh, I am, I had just been accepted to Dalton State uh, College to study sociology and uh, to become a substance abuse counselor. And mm-hmm. in that aspect, you know, I had to go in front of the board of yeah. Dalton State because they seen my record. And so they had, you know, a picture a label. Right. So I had to go plead my case. And um, at first it made me mad, but it's okay. Because in order for them to understand it, they would have to experience it. And I wish yeah. that on no one. Hmm. But they have accepted you. They've accepted me. And now you're on track to becoming a substance abuse counselor, which I think is great. It's going to be an incredible ministry for you because of the testimony that you have already. That's just awesome. That's incredible. Um, So it's a bright new future. Instead of a future of jail time and more addiction and all that stuff, now the future is is promising for you, but it's not perfect yet, right? I mean, it doesn't mean that God just hit the reset button and everything's perfect, right? Tell me about that. Well, uh, 2010... Uh, you know, I thought, well, okay, I got the meth under control, so I can, I can, I can dabble in some alcohol, and I'll be okay. So I relapsed to alcohol, and uh, uh, I, I drank heavily uh, for you know, quite, quite you know, for a few months. Uh, I was in a car wreck, um, DUI, uh, and at that point, I realized that it's either a hundred percent. Sobriety, or there's nothing. Hmm. And, uh, you know, going, going through a relapse, you know, say, they say that that's part of it. But God still, still showed me mercy. Hmm. Uh, he reached down and, and saved me. And uh, I still have to uh, uh, reassure my wife because of the things I've done to her, you know. 
uh, I, I had accused her of, of cheating on me in the past uh, because the meth had me convinced. Uh, I would see men running out of the window as I pulled up. Yeah. But to her offense, the screen had never been removed from the window. Yeah. That's what math does to you, isn't it? It, it, it literally drives you crazy. And, uh, you know, it, and it takes time. And uh, the enemy has nothing but time mm. as far as uh, to affect the mind. Yeah. So that addiction still ripples its effects through your life today. Yes. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit in you, he is, he's doing something. You remember the verse we talked about the other day? Uh, yes, Romans uh, 12, uh, um, live no more according to the world, but be, uh, be, renewed by the trans- but be, be transformed by the renewing of, renewing yeah. of your mind. I love that. He's in the process of transforming you and renewing you. He's making you new. Uh, Jesus says in Revelation, he, he looks across the new heaven and the new earth, and he sees us, and he says, look, I'm making everything New, and that's really the process he's in now with you, and and what a blessing that is. Isn't that a, isn't that a great story to be able to hear that? Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Um, you know, I also had a I was I was studying, but I also wanted to read this first, if you don't mind. Please do. Please it's do. Uh, Jude uh, twenty two twenty three. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Um, mean addicts, people with strongholds. You know, don't judge people. Uh, to others, show mercy mixed with, mixed with fear, hate, and even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Mm. So uh, that's where I think I, you know, I should uh, uh, give somebody hope. Mm. At one time, I didn't have hope. I didn't know compassion. I didn't know love. Mm. And now he's planted that inside of you. Yes. And he's growing that. It's coming out of you now. It's really awesome to see. Uh, man, I mean, what a, what a great testimony and what a great story for us to, to be able to hear and to learn from. And uh, so I just want to, I mean, I just really want to ask the question um, for each of us. What is it? In fact, on the bottom of your page, it says, ask the question, what's, what, what is it that has mastered you? What has mastered you? Is it drugs? Is it cigarettes? Is it alcohol? Is it uh, some other type of addiction? Uh, man, one of the things I'm reading about these days, this, this seems almost weird to me, but there's people with internet addictions. It doesn't necessarily mean porn addictions. They just can't stop checking their email and their Facebook and their Twitter all the time, and they just can't get away from the computer. I mean, there's all kinds of addictions of things that master us and keep us from being everything that God wants you to be. What is it that has mastered you? And the thing I would like to close with is this, that, that for all of us, for all of us, we've all experienced, whether we'd like to admit it or not, all of us, including myself, have experienced the, the fact that we have at one time or another been mastered by sin. We've been mastered by sin. And whether it's the kind of addiction that you have, uh, we've all been addicted to sin at one point in our life. It may be, it may be uh, just the fact that you are, even if you don't have something that just keeps you trapped, you're trapped by the fact that you were born a sinner, that you were born defiant against God, that you were a criminal against him, and you were trapped, you were mastered by that fact. All of us, the Bible says, all of us are born sinners, and we all fall short of God's glory, all of us. So the trap of addiction, it it includes everybody in this room because we've all been touched by it in one way or another. 
Uh, and so that, what happens is that sin, it keeps us separated. It keeps a wall between us and God. And we want to, we know we ought to, we're wired to desperately crave God, but we seek him in everything else. And we try to substitute everything else for, for the real God. So we try to worship our, our possessions or our power or our family or our status or whatever it happens to be. And we worship those things in our lives and not God. But the good news is that God loves us. And even though we're separated from him, even though that sin uh, that we are all trapped by, it condemns us to death. God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus who experienced no addiction. He sent Jesus to die in our place. The Bible says that God took all my sin and put it on the person of Jesus, and he blamed Jesus for what I had done and who I was. And he punished Jesus in my place. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And now he lives today to give me a relationship with God. And not only does he give me a relationship with God, but his life gives me victory. Because the whole process of salvation in my life is still working out. The Bible says work out your salvation. I've been a believer. I've been, you know, saved for like 20 some odd years. And the process of salvation still works out in my life. And it looks like this. It looks like this. It's more of him and less of me. It's all about me letting him come to life more in my life and me saying, no, I want to die to myself. I want to let go of those things that I'm holding on to. I want to stop thinking it's all about me being in charge. I want to stop thinking it's all about my money. I want to stop thinking it's all about my possessions. My salvation works out when Jesus replaces all of those things in my life. And I live for him. And instead of worshiping the idol, I am a worshiper of him. I surrender completely to him. Is that process continually happening in your life? Can you see God through the power of the Holy Spirit pointing out areas in your life saying, I I see that in you and I'm here to kill that. Let's kill that off. And let me come to life in that area of your life. Are you seeing that happen? Because that's what Jesus died for. That's what Jesus lives for. So I'd like to invite you, if, that's, if, if you're here today and that's the condition of your life, that you aren't seeing that, you can see that in your life. You can experience the salvation and the power that he desires for you to experience. And I just want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. It's a simple, easy prayer that I say almost every single Sunday in here. But it's a prayer that all of us ought to be always constantly praying. So I'm just going to invite everybody to bow your heads and and pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer of repentance and faith. I'll take that. Thanks. And uh, the prayer is not a magical prayer. You know, I say this every week. The prayer doesn't magically come and, and turn you into something else. But this prayer articulates the condition of your heart before a holy God. And the prayer just goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. And God, I've broken your heart by breaking your law. No matter how hard I try, I still let you down. I've committed crimes against you. I deserve to die. Who am I that you would love me anyway? But thank you that you did. 
And thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place. God, please forgive me. Lord, I confess to you right now that thing that I've been worshiping that's not you. And I'm just going to give you a second to confess whatever that is. God, we give that up to you. We repent. God, I walk away from that. God, I'm here to forsake all of my sin before you. As best as I know how, I surrender my life to you. 